Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show. We're here in Buskers in Dublin and we're delighted to be joined by former Munster and Leicester wing Johnny Murphy. We are getting underway just about on time, but Ireland weren't on time in Murrayfield on Saturday. Joe Schmidt's men arrived late and as he said himself, they were late for pretty much everything in the first half. In this episode, we're going to look at Ireland's shortcomings in defence in the first half in Murrayfield as they gave up three tries. We'll also look at some of their key failings in the mall and the line-out. And as they now look towards Italy on Saturday, we'll look at that test and where Joe Schmidt's men can get their campaign back on track. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, thank you. Ireland were flat, they were distracted, maybe muddy in their thinking, certainly in that first half. And again, when they went ahead against the Scots, where does that kind of flatness come from? In your experience, maybe as a player, where do those things happen in the week in the build-up? Uh, I don't really know. I sort of from from what happened, the guys. I suppose um, you know when I was playing, little things throughout the week, you know, and can kind of affect you in terms of if you feel you haven't got your prep right. And I suppose you know people are trying. You know, there's a couple of articles saying, oh, you know, five, ten minutes late to a ground, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't affect you that much. But actually, if you're a really routine player, it would. You know, like Ireland's warm up would probably nearly be down to you know ten, five seconds at a time, and you know to having to add on 10 minutes to, to everything or, or, or shorten it down is going to affect certain players. Um, and I think that can probably lead to uh, just a small bit of muddiness, as you said, when you get onto the pitch, if, if you feel your prep just wasn't right for that vital 90 minutes before, before kick-off. Yeah, it's interesting. Can you remember a specific example of, of arriving late and, and being... Um, yeah, there's it. been a couple of times where you know you got stuck in traffic, especially in Pro 12 games, and you don't have a you know you don't have an an escort, and you know I think that can probably just lend itself to you feel you're chasing your tail, and you know even down to physio slots, you know they're all done before you get on the bus, and you know they're five ten minutes trapping slots, and having to kind of get all that done just adds pressure, and there can it can just kind of create a bit of anxiety, I suppose, within the group. Because mm. Joe Schmidt was, was, we're told, very angry when he came into the stadium. I almost wonder if that gives a negative energy to the players, and that you know it's obviously completely not ideal for a team to be late arriving and, and everything gets pushed back. But sometimes you get a different chance thrown at you, and, you, and you've got to manage that. It did seem like Ireland were slightly forced off kilter by it, and, and maybe they should have managed that a little bit better. Also, for their team manager, I think it was a nightmare scenario trying mm. to get them there. So everyone will have faced the brunt of the of the review session, I think, on a Monday. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some tough, tough conversations going on in Carton House today, all right. Yeah. yeah. I guess with, with, a, with a couple of days in between the game, obviously it's dejection and disappointment straight after. Overall, wh where do you see that performance? What were the big differences between the two sides? Um, I think probably just defensively was, you know, especially in the first half, um, Ireland were probably, you know, a man down generally on a, on a fold around the corner. But on top of that, they weren't able to fix then, uh, fix then the issues that that created. So, you know, sometimes you, you know, you don't want to compound errors. Okay, someone has some fold, that's one error. Don't make another error by standing really close to the rook and coming forward in a situation where you need to hold off on the edge. And I think that's something that they were definitely in the first half that they were behind. Um, and I think, you know, Scotland's defensive effort, yes, they conceded three tries, but I think it, what was really important was, you know, they picked, uh, you know, they picked what rook in terms of multi-phase that they wanted to go after. And a lot of, you know, Joe Smith's kind of, you know, um, coaching and, you know, how, how his sides play are all based around rooks. And if you don't commit numbers to rooks, then you're not going to lengthen the rook and you're not going to shorten the amount of guys that they, they have on their feet. 
and I think that was something that Scotland did really, really well. They always had, you know, 13, 14 guys on their feet coming forward, and then they, you know, it was generally the fourth or fifth breakdown in multi-phase that they really went after. They either slowed it down exceptionally well, or they ended up getting a turnover. Yeah, that was really apparent. I mean, is that a, is that a Scotland tactic, let's wait? five phases every time or are they just making good decisions around the rock each time? Um, I think it's probably a combination of both you know if you analyse so much you know analysis goes on teams these days and you know teams are are realising that that's you know one of Ireland's strengths especially in attack and you know if you can pick and choose the right rook but then you have to have a back row that is you know has enough rugby intelligence to go okay this is the time let's go after it and you know it was a re for me it was a really good mix of both that you know I, I think if you look at the the tackle stats you know Scotland made a, a lot more tackles than than Ireland did but you know they were effective in their in their defensive shape which in the first half Ireland certainly weren't yeah certainly a loaded Irish back row but I think the Scots got the better man. and John Barkley even off the bench was was absolutely outstanding you, me you mentioned Ireland's defensive issues we're just going to look at a couple of examples here um, from, from the first half. The, the first try, Scotland was a prime example of, of, a, of a team not folding around the corner. And it actually came, like a lot of Ireland's wounds were self-inflicted self rather. It came from a line-out initially where Ian Henderson just dropped the ball, Scotland go down the other end and build these kind of multi-phase uh, multi passage to, to finally break Ireland down. But we're just going to look at the example here with, um, with Ireland overstacked on the, on the right side, on the blind side of the rook. Uh, we also have it set up here on our table. Basically, they end up with a six-on-one in the blind, blindside channel here. Um, even though they've actually had time to fold around, it's actually quite a slow rook. Again, if you're reviewing that as a, as a player and as a coach, what are you telling your players? Is it just about communication or is it awareness or is it individuals? Um, it's probably a collective of all. <laughs> like anything, it's a collective of, of everything you just, there, you just said there. It's a recognition from one from these players here that okay, there's one guy in front of me, okay, let's leave, you know, two here and move on. It's also a recognition of the backfield, you know, Rob Kearney and, and Conor Murray, if they're in the backfield, they need to be communicating that to the, um, to the guys on this side so they fold around the corner. And then it's a work rate thing. And I think that was probably something in the first kind of 25, 30 minutes that Ireland, as you say, they were, you know, a small bit slow. They were slow out of the blocks and that was very much shown in your... In, in their defence, and you know, here you're in, you know, you're in your red zone. You need to lift the intensity, and you need to make sure that you're getting set first in your defensive line, so you can come, you can come hard here. In in a situation in your 22, you're never going to be soft, you're never going to be soft in defence and and drifting. You need to come hard and put them under pressure to execute. So you know, players need to get on their bikes, get around the corner, you know, expand the line. And then so they can come forward and put pressure on the, uh, on the outside. Yeah, because there were opportunities. I mean, even Sean Maitland actually starts over here and he goes early. And it takes Ireland about two or three seconds to realise. They're actually looking up, but it's just not registering them. It's a, re it's a really strange kind of lack of awareness. And, and his line is actually something that probably catches Gary Ringrose. Yeah. When he's in that 13 channel, Sean Maitland ends up coming out here and the ball is thrown over the top. It's his presence in Gary, in Gary Ringrose's eye line that he probably he comes forward and then, oh, I have to go in here. And that probably causes him to slip, which then makes you know, an, a, an, easy, an easy run in on the edge for Hawk. I've seen Ringrose taking a bit of flack, but I mean, stuck out there with all these numbers, it really is no win. There's, it, it's a no win situation. It's you know, a, a, a three plus one on one. You're not going to win unless there's an execution error. And then on top of that, you know, a bounce pass is something that causes everyone to stop. And then with that happening, with Maitland's late line on, on an outside shoulder just 
there's too many variables there. Um, you know, Robbie has made a decision to come hard off the line. Gary has to back that, go forward again, and then it's just a numbers issue there. There's nothing he can do. All the issues are compounded inside. And you look how tight they are. You know, they have, and this happened three or four times through the game, where they have all 15 players inside the, near, inside the, the far 15, mm. which in terms of defensively, you never want that. You want numbers on, the, on your feet, but you also want to fill the field to make sure that you cover every, every space on the pitch. And that's the point. I mean, people are wondering why are Ireland defending narrow? It's not deliberately setting up narrow. It's, it's the damage that's being done by guys not getting around the corner on, on those preceding phases. Even four phases before Scotland actually score here, they, sh they should score going from right to left. Mm. Uh, Finn Russell hits Hamish Watson up in the line rather than going to the back door. I think you could see some of the backs being exasperated mm. why didn't it come to us. So, so the issue was there. Ireland had been warned even four phases before. And again, this is an early warning in a game that we've got to fix our defence. That didn't happen. And we're going to look at another example. The second example we have is, is the second Stuart Hogg try. And again, there's some similar problems for the Irish defensive system. It's second phase. We've got to set up here. It's second phase off a line-out attack from right to left. And Josh Strauss is carried in the middle. And I've seen a bit of stuff about Ireland losing collisions and, and quick rucks for Scotland. But this certainly wasn't an example. Uh, CJ Sander gets over the ball. He adds about six seconds to rock in total. So it's quite slow. Ireland have time to actually fold. We can see that the, the, the way they're set up again, they've numbered up far too much on that kind of blind side, let's mm -hmm. call it. Um, and they're, they're marking up on bodies that aren't, just aren't there. So it kind of leaves them short on their right-hand side of the rock. But still, you think this is a situation they should defend. What, what happens to, to allow that big Scottish break? Well, and, and a number of things happen. Robbie Henshaw and um, Gary Ringrose kind of initially make the, make the tackle. Uh, Robbie makes the tackle then Gary comes in and he gets popped out here. He gets kind of popped out of the rook, doesn't really join the rook, but ends up at pillar where um, he probably needs to be out towards, um, you know, have his connection with Jackson and Earls out here. It's just the way it happens. CJ then goes in over the ball and, as you say, slows it down. But on top of that, they're short, probably one man on a fold. Mm. It's a five man line out, so they probably need to get one man just one more man around the corner, which will hopefully then um, lengthen the line. But even with that, so that's number one mistake. Um, they didn't get one, one around the corner. Second then mistake is we have number four in line, which is Ian Henderson. He comes forward and goes hard at their number one. Most defensive system would be where you, whatever you want to call it, one, two, three, pillar, two, three, whatever, pillar, nine, ten. It'll end, it, it should be that the third guy in defence is on ten. He can then come forward instead of having a situation which is exactly like this. You have a staggered line and two passes beat five players. And that's something that you never want. Too tight around the rook and then the wrong man comes forward on ten. So there's a small bit of probably lack of communication, maybe one person around. But then you can still fix that. You can fix that with, and as I said, that's something that they weren't doing well in the first 40 minutes. There were compounding errors, and it was error on top of error, and then error again. And if you have three in a row, it's probably going to end up to, to a try, which happens in this situation. So after that, Henderson comes out of the line here. Jackson gets stuck a bit in no man's land. Keith Earls is the same. He's not sure what's happening. And then it's just pure acceleration from Stuart Hogg. He's so quick. Keith Earls is probably one of the fastest guys in the, in the Irish squad, and he just... He, he just manages to get that small bit of space 
on Keith and Keith can't, can't put a tackle in. And then it's the last one. When you get into this situation, it's a two-on-one. Probably, you know, Rob Kearney might look back and just say, well, make him make the pass. Okay, there's, you, you know, you don't want to give him a clear run into the line. So that last minute, just turn your shoulders and hopefully he doesn't make a two-on-one. He, 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 he sells himself the dummy and ends up going into what... Uh, some of the coaches I've called Muggs Gully. Kind of, you, you kind of, you give them, give them the inside, and then last minute, just turn your shoulders in. And they were the three errors that led to the second try. It was good play by Scotland, good recognition, but something that can be done just by filling one of those, one of those spots that we've spoken about. Yeah, Muggs Gully. Muggs Gully. Yeah, Paddy Howard, one of his favourite favourite <laughs> phrases. Muggs Gully. I like it. But it is interesting how how that chain reaction kicks off, um, and people watch the game and they go. Oh, bloody Rob Kearney or mm. bloody Keith Earls getting burned on the outside, why is he so narrow? But it all comes back to the, you know, that one extra body could have redeemed the situation and you've still got a chance to redeem the situation by getting your third defender onto 10 and everyone just slightly taking a step out. That means that Paddy Jackson actually comes up yeah. on Hugh Jones who makes that pass. Exactly and what it means if they get that small bit wider and Sean O'Brien comes forward on 10, it means you're numbered up because 15 has last man in the line. So. Keith Harris can come forward and put a lot of pressure on Stuart Hogg to make that pass. And if he doesn't, it's a tackle probably, you know, a, a gain line advantage for Ireland in defence. And it just means that that connection on the edge between Rob Kearney and Keith Harris is just, it's more solid. Mm. And it just, as I said, it's those compounding errors in the first 40 minutes that ultimately cost them the game. Yeah, I just wanted to ask about that, the pendulum. That's what, what, what most teams refer to it as, of the back three movement. Um, and, and making a decision as, as to when to come because when Finn Russell actually passes the ball and it gets to Hugh Jones, Carney kind of starts backing off a little bit. Maybe that's the time to go, actually. No, they're not going to kick this in behind me. And if they do, Grubber, I should have Simon Zebo covering across. Mm. Like, what are the cues for that pendulum moving that way in terms of Rob Carney and Simon Zebo when they go? It probably just in terms of um, when the ball moves out of 10's hands and especially for a 15 you probably want to be in a situation where if the ball goes to Hugh Jones, he can then, so you need to be in a situation where, okay, he might kick, so just cover this space. But when the ball leaves second set of hands, especially in this area of the park, you want to be closing the gate on the edge. Um, now, it's very hard in this situation because they got so tight that everyone is drifting to try and get to that two-on-two -two situation. But because we're so tight, it just means that Keith Earls gets stung on probably their quickest player and he can't move and then that stops Rob coming forward and closing the gate. Something in that situation probably is if Simon Zebo can just get on his bike that small bit earlier and get to, instead of being at middle post, be here so he can shout to Rob, close, 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 and then everyone can go forward. And, and as, I, as I said previously, if Rob Kearney makes Stuart Hogg make, makes, make the pass, then it's just a foot race where Simon can try and push him into touch over on the edge. And it was actually something in South Africa they did really, really well. You know, Paddy Jackson fronted up a, a few times making tackles on the edge where the guys in behind, they just went jam, jam. Okay, well, they'll get me out the back. Someone will have my inside and they'll, they'll go really hard on the edge. So it was just something that, and it was like their whole play in the first half, were just that small bit off compared to previous games where they, they were on, on task. Yeah, and that made it almost more frustrating, the fact that even in the second half, as Schmidt said after the match a number of times, the defence was good. You know, they got up out of the line and you saw Ringrose starting to come forward because they had numbered up and now he has the chance to go forward and, and make yeah. a dominant tackle. I think he knocked the ball out of Hugh Jones' yeah, he hands did, he did. Great, great tackle coming forward in that situation. So, like, it's not, it's not this 
massive flaw that they can't iron out of their game, but we know that coaches like to be so clear and concise in their delivery. What are the key things Andy Farrell is going to be hammering home to the players to, to sum all that, all that up? I think one of the big things that, that has to happen is um, a fold, but on top of that, spacings. You know, it can't be a case of six-second ruck where they've got no one coming around in this. No one coming around off nine. That four is going to go forward on on ten. Get your spacings. Get three to set the line speed, and then we can come. And then they can come come hard off the line, and that will make it a lot easier for Paddy Jackson if he's on the edge, uh, Keith Earls, Rob Carney to make those decisions because they have a bit more time. They're putting the. Uh, they're putting the Scots or the Italians this weekend under a lot more pressure, which makes decisions on the edge a lot easier. Okay. Another uh, aspect of the game that let Ireland down, I think, was their line out and their maul. 12 out of 14 return on line out always looks good, and their stats do generally look good, but it doesn't quite take into account the, I guess, the, the damage that those losses did. The first one we've mentioned before, Henderson losing a ball early in the game, and they find themselves 7-0 down. The next one was was the close range mall where um, they actually got dragged down the first time. Second time around, they get a nice mall set up um, and it shears off to the left and they get done for obstruction. I think, again, that goes back to what we saw a lot in the first half, that maybe that lack of clear decision-making. A guy as experienced as Rory Best and even Conor Murray in behind him probably should spot that and go, hang on, we've got to break away here. Um, so that, 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 that certainly let them down in the first half and, and, and did a lot of damage in terms of Scotland actually striking back afterwards. Again, later in the second half when they got back to 22-21, probably the big issue was the fact that they couldn't put the game away. Mm. And we, we, we saw loads of missed opportunities with ball in hand, Jamie Heesip almost offloading Robbie Henshaw, but I think the one that really annoyed Ireland was a line out 10 metres 10 meters out on the right-hand side. They go to set up a mall after coming over the 15-metre line and John Barkley, who we mentioned before, he gets in on the ball and forces a knock-on. They're the kind of opportunities that Ireland, that they thrive on. That's where mm -hmm. they score their tries. So there's one thing about offloading under the posts and a try that would have been maybe a little bit un uncharacteristic for Ireland, but, but, the, but the effect of those, those missed opportunities from line-out mall was, was, was really damaging. And I think that was an execution thing. And, you know, spoken previously about their execution back in the All Blacks game in Dublin, you know, it was two or three of those execution errors that probably cost them beating the All Blacks twice in three weeks. So it's just a case that, you know, they rectified them for the following week, they came out and they beat Australia. So it's just about now, and it's the first game, on four, you know, the first game in Six Nations, guys have been away at their provinces, they come back in, okay, they spent two weeks together, but, you know, it's, it's the first game of the year. So there are gonna be those, uh, those probably execution errors, and it's just trying to minimize, um, as you say, the importance of them. So when they do happen, they don't cost you, you know, but unfortunately for Ireland at the weekend, those execution errors really did cost them. Mm. We're holding them to a high standard after November. I think mm. that's probably a good thing. But yeah, the, a key strength of your game letting you down is, is always going to leave you in a bad position. In terms of that actual line-out set-up even, they're so reliant on Devin Toner now. I think he took four of the 12. CJ Sander took four of the 12. And then Jamie Heesip took two of the 12 uh, catches. No catches for Ian Henderson. He, he missed his one chance. Does that maybe point to the fact that they've got this second row that is missing Paul O'Connell now and they've missed Peter Manny in the back row and that maybe those line-out options aren't as strong as they once were? Because 2014-2015, that, that line-out was the best possibly in the world. Um, yeah, maybe. No, it's not my speciality, I have to say. But yeah, you know, you look at someone like Tony Ryan who wasn't even involved in, in, you know, in, the, uh, in the squad who you know, is a line-out forward himself. Um, you know, but... You know, and saying that when Ulton Delan came on, you know, 
his relevance in the line out as well. But I suppose they are heavily reliant on Devin Toner, but you're going to be heavily reliant on who's your main line out man. They were heavily reliant on Paul O'Connell for nearly ten years to run to run a line out. So I think that's just the way the way the game is. And you know what I suppose you have to kind of compliment Scotland as well. You know, they put them under pressure. There was obviously a huge amount of analysis done on them and they got a try from line out and under the other pressure that they, they marked up, marking up the other guys and putting Ian Henderson under pressure probably led to, you know, you know, as you said already, led to another try. So you have to give, give Scotland some credit. You know, they played very well at the weekend. They really did their homework and, you know, that was what, you know, what got them over the line. Yeah, they cer certainly delivered on all the pre-match chat. They were quite confident and, and chipping away and I think Rog has got burned by a little bit because he, he said he hoped Ireland put them in their place uh, during the game, but they certainly backed it up and it is encouraging to see that for the championship and, and certainly for, for Scottish rugby. In terms of what lies ahead next for Ireland, um, a trip to Italy, a trip to Rome, having watched that match um, on the Sunday against Wales, do you see any signs that Conor O'Shea has been able to progress things? Uh, unfortunately for him, not really. You know, it was a case that you felt, yeah, there was an opportunity for Italy after their great win against South Africa. And it's like they've gone back to their clubs and then they've come back in and they've just gone back to old habits. You know, they had two or three clear line breaks, one first phase move that worked really, really well. And you're into the 22 and they kick the ball away. And it wasn't even a smart kick, kick it and it goes dead. And they had another one off counter attack, another clear line break, and then they just a rush of bullets to the head. What do I do? It's like they've kind of lost their way again. So it's like he's starting from scratch. Well, that's what it seemed like to me mm. watching the game. It was a tough watch at times, but <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it's just, I suppose, as disappointing for us as neutrals to see that, but for you know Connor to be involved and, and see that is, you know, I'd say it's very hard for him. But you know, if anyone can get things going and back on on track again, it will be Connor O'Shea. So. I think, although I was probably wrong last week, I thought it was a good time to get Scotland first up. I thought they were going to be probably the main improvers through the uh, through the Six Nations. So, you know, it might be a good time, but to get to get Italy, um, you know, and I think the big thing is you have to sow the doubt early. You know, plant the seed of doubt early, and then you know kick on from there. So nullify them, hopefully get over the line, or just keep building pressure. Just keep the scoreboard ticking over, go 6, 9, 12, 19, and then kick on and look for that bonus point because you know, calling a spade a spade, I know Joe said in different articles that their you know, first thing is about winning the game. Yeah, but if they want to win the championship this year, they really have to get five points at the weekend. Yeah, realistically. That, it's interesting you mentioned that building the scoreline because that was probably one of the big weaknesses was the penalty count. I know Conor O'Shea said afterwards that maybe the perception is that Italy are, are, are conceding more penalties because they're just a weaker team and that they have to kind of change the referee's mindset around that. But certainly that's a target for Ireland, especially with the way they play, mm. especially with those one-out phases and, and being really accurate at the ruck. Because all the, all the penalties conceded, I think there were 16 conceded by Italy and, and 15 of them were on, were on, the, on their own ball, yeah. including a couple of scrum ones. But, you know, it points to a side who, if you get true phases, they're going to they're gonna concede. And I think the big thing, um, you know, watching them was the frustration that was within the side. You know, there was a drop ball from the 15 when there was no one near him. Um, you know, Sergio Parise gave away a penalty for back chat to the referee. 
and I know obviously he's captain so he's going to be speaking to the referee but it just kind of got to the stage where he was like ah, what's, what's going on he, he just and, and he ended up losing with the referee which was kind of uncharacteristic of, of Sergio but it just shows the frustration that is there and I suppose the expectation from him after what was a fantastic one, probably one of the best win, well, was the best win that they've ever had while he's played. So it was probably just, you know, so you just hope that there's not a backlash. But at the weekend, I don't see it because I, I don't really see where that backlash can, can mm. come from on an Italy side. Yeah. Ireland certainly can't afford to be complacent and, and I don't think they ever will be. It was interesting actually after the Scotland game, Joe Schmidt mentioned Sometimes you do something so well, i.e. starting a game, you almost get used to doing it, that you don't bring it on the day and, and really focus in on actually doing it again. Maybe that's a bit of complacency in a, in a kind of deep-seated way, but I think Ireland have learned their lesson in terms of a strong start. But I think they will be focusing predominantly on themselves. They do, they're famous for their opposition analysis under Schmidt, but this time they just need to get their own game right, get that defensive system right, and the attack as well. What did you see from their use of possession Ireland? To, to be positive? Um, I thought their multi-phase game was very good. You look at their tries, they come on 8, 9, 10, 10, 10 phase and I, and I think you know, that's something that in the 22 they just they have a different mindset when they get into green zone and you know, they, they lift the intensity. The only thing for me is you know, they, for Keith Earl's first try, they went out the back, they moved the ball to width but you know, we were talking before, would they have done that if they didn't have advantage? But they score off it. That's where the space is. They need to be a bit more proactive in in green zone, and that when they have attracted the numbers to uh, numbers to rook, then let's move the ball and you know they hopefully create easy tries out wide. But I think their multi-phase game is something that is is moving forward. I know people are giving out about Jamie Heaslip not you know offloading the ball for you know after that that Murray break when he blocks in the kick, but you know. For me, that's great to see because that's a walk-in underneath the post. He just was so unlucky. He attracted two defenders. He's thinking, so he looks. Robbie Henshaw is there. When he takes the ball, gets his hand free, and he passes, Robbie Henshaw's not there. It's like mm -hmm. one of those things that's just really unlucky. Robbie Henshaw stayed on his feet. He carries that ball and walks in underneath the post. So it's those split-second things. But... For me, that was good to see. It was, yeah, okay, we're going to score there. We're we're scoring now, rather than, you know, let's, you know, give the way Scotland were, they would have targeted that rook. They could have slowed it down, and then you have to start all over again. So, you know, I think in the second half, there's a huge amount of positives to go forward. Yeah, no. um, they got themselves where no one thought into a position that no one thought they were going to get into. They got themselves in front. They'd be di bitterly disappointed that they they didn't kick on and close out the game. But, you know, you have to take the positives in their second half performance. Yeah, there were little examples. I think Jack McGrath had an offload in the 22, Sean O'Brien had one. There were several little tip-on passes in midfield. You had Furlong kind of making those link passes out the back and he slipped a couple of times, Stander. So there's certainly little signs of, of, of a better variety in their mm -hmm. attacking game. We, we expected England probably to be more dominant in a victory against, against France. Um, you mentioned the fact that it's not over for Ireland, that they're still there. Where do you see the championship lying after after one weekend? Is there a clear, clear uh, favourite over England? Yeah, I think I I, I always thought England were favourites. Um, you know, I I think under Andy Jones they've just reached a different level. Um, I thought it was a bit, you know, I thought it was a bit much. You know, saying Ireland were favourites. Yeah, they had a fantastic year last year, but 
they lost some games. You know, England went through the year unbeaten, and I think that's a, that's a big a big statement by an England side under Eddie Jones. Um, yeah, they struggled to get over the line at the weekend, but they got over the line. They have a winning habit now, and I think they're going to be very hard to stop. Um, especially if they're coming for a Grand Slam on Paddy's weekend, also to break the world record. It's kind of, you know, there's still a huge amount in that game. And even if Ireland aren't in the championship, who better to stop England winning the Grand Slam <laughs> and getting a world, a world record? So no matter what way you look at it, there's going to be a huge weekend on Paddy's weekend. But I think, for me, England are the clear favourites. They always were the clear favourites. But, you know... I think Scotland are going to improve the whole way through. I think people are going to just, oh yeah, they did a good performance, that's their standard. But you know, you look at their centre pairing of Jones and, and, and Dunbar, they, you know, they play in different hemispheres. They would only got to know each other through two weeks of training on the lead up. They're only going to improve and they were pretty good at the weekend. So they're only going to improve the more time on the pitch they get, get with each other. So. Yeah, look, Scotland might be small dark horses for me, but I, I, I think it's, it's probably England are clear favourites for me at this stage. Yeah, well, let's hope Ireland get back in the mix. Certainly lots to look forward to. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll be back next week, hopefully reflecting on Ireland's first win of the championship. Cheers. <laughs>